All right, everyone. Uh, welcome to the California Fire Chiefs Association podcast. I'm your host, Ray Geik, and uh, our discussion today is going to be related around something that's uh, uh, very important. It's something that's uh, going on in the fire service today, and it's related to uh, uh, mental health and suicide awareness uh, in the fire service today. Our guest today is uh, Matty Fiorenza. He's a, he's a retired Anaheim firefighter paramedic. I, I remember hearing, hearing Matty speak to our department probably five years ago now. He really uh, had, a, had a compelling story for us, and uh, I'll get into that in a minute. But you know, I remember the first time I heard that there were more firefighters taking their own lives than those that were lost in the line of duty. And quite frankly, I, I had a hard time believing that. Uh, when I first heard that statistic, it was it was shocking to me that that was the case. But unfortunately, that trend continued. And if you look at the American Fire Service today, it's it's just a it's a tragedy in our own in, in our fire service, and it's something that we're we're trying to get our arms around a little bit. In fact, I read a study published by the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation that uh, says that firefighters have a one and a half times are more likely to lose their lives by suicide than in line of duty. And that was published back in 2016. I'd imagine it's, it's even potentially getting worse uh, now. I wanted to uh, welcome Maddie uh, to our podcast and thank you for coming uh, and speaking to us today, Matt. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, I'm really actually very blessed to be here and, and have this conversation with you, Chief. Yeah, I think, like I said, the last time I saw you, it was about five years ago. You, uh, you, you were uh, gracious enough to come out and speak the Ontario Fire Department and Ontario Police Department, uh, both our management and labor. Uh, we were at our airport station, Station 10. And uh, and I, I remember hearing your story and your journey. And that's kind of why I wanted to bring you in today and give you a chance to share your story. But I remember when I heard your story five years ago, it really opened my eyes as, as a fire chief. And it, it opened uh, my perspective up a lot. You know, um, I've been in the fire service for over 30 years. You know, when I started 30 years ago, like like a lot of uh, folks in, in the fire service today, we always didn't do a great job with behavioral health. In fact, as you were probably painfully aware, it's it's uh, it was a huge stigma back then. And you didn't really talk about behavioral health. You didn't talk about things that were stressing you out. It was looked down upon if you were talking about any of those things. You were considered to be weak back then. Um, and quite frankly, you know, PTSD was, I know we don't use that term anymore, but that was kind of what was was uh, talked about back then. It wasn't talked about, quite frankly, because you didn't know if you were lose your job or not. Right. You know? And yeah. uh, you know, it's it's no different than than in some ways, people that have cardiac issues, right? People know they'll have a cardiac issue, maybe, but they're not going to share that because they're afraid of, you know, what? This is what I know. This is my job. If I say anything that I'm having these signs and symptoms, I might lose my job. And right. I've had friends that had cardiac issues and are no longer firefighters anymore. So I think that stigma of the behavioral health piece of what the fire service used to be, I'm happy to say that, you know, people like you that have come in and, and had, had the, uh, the courage to share your stories um, is, is changing that conversation today, is changing that stigma today. And so I applaud you for that. And I, I appreciate um, you coming in today and, and sharing your story. And, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing we have to do is, is, uh, is create an environment that it's, it's not a stigma anymore. It's, it's something that we, we want to help our own on and, and make people healthy. 
And uh, so that's, I, I appreciate you jumping in today. So, yeah, you know, I like to kind of start off with people with kind of the beginning of their journey. Eventually with your story, how did you get in the fire service? What made you interested in the fire service? Yeah, of course. Thank you. Um, yeah, so much to unpack, you know, because um, there really is a lot to this. Um, so, I mean, for me personally, you know, I, I'm going to go back. <clears throat> I'll go back to the beginning because um, because what we know now, and when I say we, I mean the um, some of the people that are tip of the spear when it comes to behavioral health for first responders and, and veterans is uh, in the space that I'm in, um, is that a lot of us have what they call complex PTS, which is childhood trauma plus moral injury. And the, uh, the more work I've done in the space and the more data that's coming out is that um, most, most first responders and veterans have some, so, some form of childhood trauma. And that um, at the trauma retreat that I was working at, Save a Warrior, as a um, volunteer for about three and a half years, we started to give the adverse childhood experiences test to everyone that came. Uh, it was a 10, it's a 10 question test uh, that uh, Kaiser did a study in 1994 and there's a lot to it, but they came, they came up with a lot of data based on people answering these 10 questions and they're there. You can look it up, but they're like for your 18th birthday, did you ever witness your dad hitting your mom? Stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of gnarly. And and based on your score, they they had all this data that came out on this. They kind of died off, but they're bringing this back. It's coming. It's it's coming back around to be in, in the behavioral health co uh, conversation, especially amongst our community, because uh, a lot of us have high scores and your your chance of suicide, the probability of suicide based on your score is very high. So. I was raised in an Irish Italian Catholic family. My dad was a Vietnam veteran, a uh, Marine. He was an Orange County Sheriff, Deputy Sergeant, uh, Medal of Valor. And most of my most of my memories of my dad were pretty scary. Uh, he, I know from talking to some of the the men that he worked with that he was he was a tough guy. He was a training guy, and uh, he had PTS. And after he was in a shooting um, in Silverado Canyon where uh, a parolee shot his partner. My dad had to kill the guy and and um, he was off work for a year uh, before he returned back to the sheriff's department. And And I didn't see my dad for a long time uh, growing up because of an altercation he had with my mother. So he passed when I was 20, uh, I was 24 when my dad passed. He had a, a massive heart attack. Um, and, and so we didn't really have a, a great relationship, but now understanding what I, what I know now about PTS and, and what that man went through in, in Vietnam and in his career, like I get it, like I understand. So, um, so we moved around a lot when I was a kid, you know, I got bullied a lot as a kid. I, you know, I was sexually abused. I was physically abused. I was mentally abused. Um, I just, I was, my nervous system was on fire before I even, you know, joined the fire service. So, um, I, I ran away from home at 13, moved in with my sister and, uh, and I was just, I was off doing whatever I wanted to do. And that's where some of my dissociated behaviors, which is a fancy way of saying how we numb out, you know, what you do with the doors closed with, to shut this thing off and to feel comfortable in my own skin was alcohol, you know? So, um, I, I met a girl while I was uh, going to the four-year college. So I, 
I was going to the University of Laverne and um, I met a girl whose mom was a purchasing agent for the Forest Service and she was always talking about base camp and fire camp and and I you know I was just kind of doing the school thing I there was always a part of me that wanted to be of service it was just it's the family business like so um I almost joined the Marine Corps and then listening to this uh woman talk about the fire service I thought oh man I, I never thought about that before like so we went up to uh King City um California because she just got off a cam campaign fire and met some some of the local uh volunteer firefighters we went to the station we had a we had a barbecue up there and and I just like we I remember the guys let me hose down the patio and and I was just hanging out with these guys it's just salt of the earth like just it, it was amazing and I I remember thinking like I sat on the app floor on the rig for like an hour by myself just like this is what I want to do like where has this been my whole life and and I went home and I signed up for you know a couple class a couple classes I was working full-time I I was married at the time and I had um a mortgage and and so it took me it took me about I would say from the time I decided to be a firefighter till I took all the classes went through the academy and got off probation it was about seven years um and that was kind of the norm you know mm -hmm. back when we were you know trying to get hired it's yep. it, it it was it was difficult you know and, and I took 50 tests all up and down the state I went to you know I did what we did we found your academy mates and you just you went to Arizona and you took road trips to Nevada you took Vegas this test you took this test and that test and I was fortunate enough to get to get picked up in the city of Anaheim and and um and my career was you know I I during those those years where my buddies that I had come up with um childhood buddies they were all drinking doing the 21 year old thing I was grinding trying to get this job you know I I I had like a lot of us do all my focus was on getting hired it was you know, I, I did the volunteer work. I worked on the ambulance. I was taking all the classes. And, and so when I got picked up with the city of Anaheim, I, you know, I worked really, really hard during that year of probation. I, I wanted to be the best rookie that I'd ever seen. And, and there were so many, you know, so many good guys that I, that I got hired with um, a lot of them in management positions now. And, and um, you know, just really, really good firefighters. And, but, you know, I, as the, as the days go, I put myself on the west end of town, you know, in, in Anaheim, which is the side of town that Disney doesn't put in the uh, brochures. You know, I, like any young firefighter, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be on the west end of the town. I wanted, I wanted to go to medic school. That was kind of my goal. So I wanted to be on the busiest medic rig and that was engine four. So for the first, I was on engine four, engine two, engine six, you know, I, for, about four years hardcore before they sent me to medic school I got to go to medic school and and during medic school it was as we all know it's it's stressful it's like really really stressful and um and so that's when some of my some of the disso dissociated behavior started happening again and looking back it's like I had all this unresolved trauma from childhood that I never dealt with I never you know I just buried that stuff it's just it's just what happened I I, just, I really didn't think about it all that much um that I cursed my dad in his coffin when he was dead. You know, I, I just, I thought I was, I was going to accomplish all these things and then go on with my life. I, I really, like I said, I, we didn't know the signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And it's not something that we talked about. And, and I remember we, we had a really, really bad call and, and um, I was a newer medic. I had two kids run over 
two two-year-old kids run over in the same like tour and I had small children at the time at home and there was a debrief which in Anaheim I, I, I would have I'd have to say we had a really solid group of um some of the old timers that were like really faith-based guys that along with like uh, Denise Mitchell who was our uh, nurse educator uh, coordinator put together some some like critical incident debriefings that was it was we were a little bit before our time I think when it came to that stuff and it was because we had this group of guys that were really they were the guys that you everybody knew that if you were having some kind of uh I don't know spiritual problem or if you really wanted to like someone that you could trust to talk to about things like that like we just knew that they were these guys you know and um I don't know one of them was Jim Yost and I don't know if you guys remember when he went through the roof on television Mm -hmm. um he was one of those guys so great great guy um so we did a debrief after those two calls and and um and I want to I want to just I want to also say this none of this stuff that I talk about today it's not a make wrong you know and I'm not I'm not blaming the city of Anaheim or our staff or I, I want everybody to know that up until this point everybody was doing the best they could with what they had and and they still are they still are it's just there's a lot of information about all this stuff now and there's a lot of of there's a lot of solution now that I feel if we're not um, doing all we can that we're being irresponsible with what we know now. And yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point, Maddie. I think that you know being a fire chief today and and looking back at our fire chiefs back in the day, you know that I that I looked at and kind of you know these things would come up and you know way way things were handled in a certain way. It was you could look back at it now and say you know, gosh, we sh- we should have probably handled that differently. But, you know, to your point, a lot, you know, we're just trying to do the best we can with what we're doing. And the reality is, is that we're, that's why we're here today is to learn from some of these things and not take for granted that all these fire chiefs and union members and different people are, are trying to do their best. And this is such a stress and those types of things are certainly not new to mm-hmm. the fire service, but I think it's definitely we're handling these things differently today based upon what we've learned in the past. And, you know, you, you were, you were one of those guys that, that went through it that I'm sure your agency learned an absolute ton um, as they were going through, you know, cause yeah. just did not, they just either didn't have to deal with it or didn't deal with it in the past. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, they, I, I'm, I'm really lucky. I'm lucky that, um, that I had the support of Pat Russell who's the fire chief in Anaheim. He was actually a mentor of mine. Uh, he was a captain that I worked with for a long time. So, so he knew me and he, and he, I know he was definitely an angel for me up in the ivory tower when, when I started getting in trouble, because that's, that's what happens is we, you know, we, we, the, all the fun drinking and things like that, that's that are in the culture become a problem when you're using it to cope with, with mental stress. Sure. And that's what happened in my story. You know, I, I, um, so you, so you basically had a, a call that maybe triggered something in you. Is that when, is that yeah. after that call is when kind of things started changing well, or, or, uh, moving in a different direction for you? 
I think I think it it took a it took the back injury, but after I mean after those two calls, that's when I noticed that, for example, they they asked after that debrief, uh, is there anybody that wants to go home, and and I was you know, I had small kids at the time. This kid was wearing the same diaper my kids were wearing. And when I got back to the station, the tones were going off and I was viscerally like cringing. Like I just, I couldn't even like bear to think that I was going to be able to go on another call and be able to, to serve the citizens of Anaheim the way that I'm expected to serve them. I just, yeah. and so I said, yeah. And, and I remember the captain at the time, like I said, not a make wrong, but he came in and in the locker room while I was putting my stuff away. And he's like, um, he said, when they ask you to go home, you tell them effing no, because now someone else has to come in to fill your spot because you can't, you can't do your job. And I mean, on top of all those things I was feeling to hear that from a supervisor, I, I was just, I was shocked. I was like, I mean, I could still feel the feelings today. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, wow. Like, um, because we, it brings up a lot of shame. It's a shame trigger, which goes back to the childhood stuff. I don't want to get into all of that stuff, but like I said, yeah. it's a lot to unpack, right? It's like yeah, but to be fair, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you know, I I grew up in a in a pretty rough um, environment from a fire service standpoint. Hearing what your captain said to you at that time was probably right along with what the culture was, right. and it's like you you man up and mm -hmm. you freaking don't say that. That was the culture I grew up in, and that's what we're talking about today. And again, it's not. It's not shaming anybody. It's, it's, I, I'm not so sure I wouldn't have said that. Right. You know, back then as truck captain guy, you know, right. with one of my guys, I can, I can picture myself doing that very thing um, at that time. Right. But I mean, knowing yeah. what I knew, knowing the culture, um, knowing what I thought was right. And I, I can 100% see myself doing that. Yeah. And the guys oh, yeah. that know me probably would say, yep. <laughs> you are correct you would have 100 percent done that right and i and i and i totally i totally get that and you know i was i was i learned from those guys too i had vietnam vets throwing coffee pots at me when i was a rookie you know what i mean like it i don't hate that guy i i he, like i said it was that was the culture that yeah. was the culture and um and I, you know, I still, I still went home and took care of myself and spent the rest of the afternoon with my, with my kids, you know, at the park and stuff. And, and, um, but what, when I really, um, when things got really bad is when I injured my back. So, you know, we all have injury, um, stories most, you know, if you make it out of this career of 30 years without hurting yourself, like you are so blessed because, um, you take, so I, I injured my back. Um, I was having back problems for a long time. And then I, I, it, it got so bad that I had to, um, they had to take me to the ER and, um, they did a bunch of MRIs finally and found that, you know, I had drop foot and all kinds of issues, nerve damage. So it was so bad that I, um, I had to have surgery. And, and during that time between the back pain and, um, all, all the, cumulative trauma and all my dissociated behaviors that led to a divorce that I was going through, which I'm, my story is not really unique. You know, there's so many of us. So, um, back injured in pain, divorce, custody issues with the ex-wife and then boom, I can't do my job anymore. Like I literally could not get out of bed on a call. 
and um and then being laid up after having the surgery losing everything because i didn't have money in the bank like i was I, I had no uh financial education you know i just no one ever taught me that stuff so it was just pay work and pay for whatever you need to pay for if you need to pay a little bit more you work a couple overtimes you know so i was just thrown into a total spiral and and thinking that i was never going to be able to uh do the job again and so being laid up how old were you about at that time so i was in my 30s it was okay. about it was about 15 years on the job okay and um and so this is when i really noticed the the hypervigilance or um when i was laying in bed and i could not i there was nothing i could do to shut this thing off nothing like i couldn't drink enough i couldn't uh, take enough percocets i couldn't i couldn't there was there was nothing i could do and and you know you take a guy out of his environment out of his tribe he's in pain and he feels like um like i'm forgotten because you know i didn't go through a roof or get hit hit by a car i, I just couldn't get out of bed so yeah. it wasn't really a hero way to go out and 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 there were people that that checked on me um this is why it was very important for me when i went back to work um, on the peer support team to make sure that we assigned a peer supporter to everybody that's off on injury and not just call them, but to actually, you know, actually make the effort to go take them to lunch or go show up at, a, at their house and have a conversation, ask them, you know, connect them with the Anaheim fire families to see if their family needs anything from the wives from that organization. And that's um, supporting our people that are off on injury. But, um, but that it all came from, from my own experience Um I was unfortunate, but at the same time, I learned so much that I was able to um, go out and either speak to this stuff or help with, with our own peer support team or other departments, peer support teams. It's from my own experience and, and um, being able to get on the other side of it. So uh, I was able to, uh, that's when really um, all the ideation started for me, all the suicidal ideation, uh, because I, I just was having an existential crisis and I was in pain. I didn't know how I was going to support myself or my family. And and so I actually my what do you, it's just so everyone's clear on terms. I think it's important. So everyone, you know, what what do you mean by ideation? Just your ideas of of suicide. I mean, is that? Yeah, it's okay. actually it's it's and here's here's the kicker to ideation. So it's 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 thinking about killing yourself. You know, I'll be quite frank. It's 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 fantasizing and and having thoughts of of actually taking your own life and for a lot of us and this is these are there's studies out there that show that this is not uncommon for first responders mm -hmm. and and so with that said um i want i want chiefs out there to know and then also the guys and, and gals on the job that that you're not broken or or crazy or mentally ill if you're having if you've had the thought cross your mind because a lot of us have why and, why do you think in your particular case you were having those ideas just because of everything that's just kind of piling up and you didn't see much of a future in front of you is that kind of um some of the reasons or was there something else there yeah i mean there was it's a lot of shame and that's what it comes down to and that's you know when i go out and speak and teach about this stuff it all comes down to shame it's it's a, it's a cycle. We get caught in a cycle of shame 
and denial and dissociation, shame, denial, dissociation. And when we get caught in that, in that cycle, it's just, it's hopeless. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do I, I don't know how to pull myself out of this. And the truth is most people can't, you know, I needed, I needed, um, a good clinician to send me to Sable Warrior where I could learn from peers, veteran combat veterans and first responders that, Hey, exactly what I just told you. And then we're going to show you the way out. You know, these guys came back for me without expecting anything in return. And, 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 you know, if, if, uh, and just for the, for you guys to know, for the audience to know, and the chiefs to know is that there are a lot of nonprofits out there that are doing work in this space. And a lot of it should be, in my opinion, fought for by our fire chiefs for the municipalities that we, that we work for. I mean, a lot of this stuff, they're injuries that occur on the job and they are injuries that, you know, nonprofits are great, but we need to be taking care of our people, you know, and, and all the, all the modalities that worked for me were paid for by nonprofits. Well, like I said, it's not, not a make wrong. It's just what happened while the city of Anaheim was fighting me and work comp and all that garbage that goes on. So I'm getting, I'm getting fought. I'm fighting for, for, for help essentially with the city that I served for 22 years and nonprofits are paying for me to actually get well. It's just, it's tough. And, and like, I don't want to go off on too many tangents, but but yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that in a little bit of kind of okay. of uh the workers comp stuff and just kind of you know some of those things but um yeah. i wanted to get back to your story just a little bit and so just just to go back so you're at home you're you got a you got a serious back injury you're right. laid up you're you're out away from from uh you know from everyone in your crew uh you're going through a divorce which i can imagine is not real fun and mm-hmm. i'm assuming you're you're drinking too much and probably uh, doing other things that aren't really healthy for yourself. Right. You, start getting, you start getting yourself into a cycle of, of uh, you don't see a way out. And I'm just, I'm just start thinking about how am I going to get out of this? And the potential for getting out of it was, was committing suicide. Right. Is that yeah. accurate? Yep. Yeah. And I, I was, I don't know how I did it, honestly, thinking back, but I did it with the help of a, a one of the, instructors from Santa Ana college. He was a, he's a kinesiology guy and he somehow he, he reached out to me. He, he heard what was going on with me, reached out to me and he actually loaned me his car so I can drive to his gym where he did some training for me to, to get me back to work um, because I wasn't making any progress. And, and we did just that. I mean, I, I showed up and and I worked out and, and my goal was to get back to work. I put the bottle down and, and I put the pain pills down because I wanted to be able to feel like if, you know, if I was in pain, if I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing. And, and I actually made it back to work for a couple of shifts. And, um, and then the, the, I was icing my back all day. I had drop foot again. And, and right about the same time I went to, to, uh, to court for a custody, uh, hearing with about my kids and I lost custody of my kids and that was the final straw for me and and so you know my best thinking because I didn't have I had zero good coping skills was to put myself in a rented car driving 106 miles per hour down the five freeway drunk with my sober girlfriend in the car 
and um and i got pulled over by chp um and that night it's so funny because i just i just talked about this the other day um those guys are angels with badges and i hated their guts for doing that to me for a long time until i realized that those men actually saved my life that night um, because they hooked me up and gave me a, a dui and and that was the first time i was i got in trouble you know and um but it did, they let me go in the field and then i ended up in a parking lot uh where i made enough noise by you know assaulting my girlfriend damaging the car um and i pot, i hid behind a, a dumpster and i was going to try and go out death by cop and instead my girlfriend got to them before they got to me and so they knew what my plan was and they you know they they spent about 45 minutes with me behind a dumpster and talking to me about you know what really was my first example of what peer-to-peer -peer looks like it was like me too man like i get it i have an ex-wife like i've been through divorce i you know i've been injured on the job i just i mean i remember bits and pieces the whole night was a blur but i do remember those guys just trying to connect with me and and they got vulnerable about their own stories and and talked me down and and i ended up you know going home that night and they um that's when we were in talks with an EAP that was culturally competent. And I saw a clinician the next day who, who told me, uh, yeah, you might want to check out this five and a half day program called Sable Warrior. And in Malibu, they, it's for combat veterans and first responders with PTS. And, and so I, I did just that. I felt that the application and I ended up going to that, that trauma retreat where I learned so many different things that just weren't on the radar you know, Jay Clark, who started the program, he, you know, he really, he took a lot of different elements from a lot of different programs and he created something that was fantastic. And, and so for five and a half days, I did meditation, which, you know, I, I did, they, I did it. I just, I was, I would do anything at that time, you know? So, but if you told me in my fifth year on the job, like you're going to be meditating every day, I would have been like, what the heck? Like I, that's for hippies and, you know, meditate right it's like so we meditate we did a meditation every day we did equine therapy we talked about what happened to my to me when I was a little kid you know some of the things that they said that you were going to take your grave or what's killing you it's not what happened on the mean streets of Anaheim it's what happened before your you know your 18th birthday and 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 as I unpack some of that stuff in the different modalities that they do um, I started to feel better and and so we, there was some education around PTS. I would say that the Sable Warrior addressed the nervous system with the meditation and equine therapy, but, and, and addressed the childhood trauma and pointed me in the right direction for recovery because I was using alcohol as a coping mechanism. So I saw these, these, combat veterans guys that i just i looked up to like talking like talking about recovery and talking about you know i watched one of them who had an incredible story take a one-year chip at this at this retreat he was one of the shepherds and and i was like man this is this is doable like there it's just modeling you know and i was like i i can do this so i got into the rooms of recovery and i thought by that time i thought i'm i don't have a job anymore but because I was a part of this community of practice, 
I was able to just get out of bed every day, make my bed. You know, it started there. Get out of bed, make your bed, go find someone to help and go to some meetings, maybe work some steps. And I slowly did that. And, and I was able to make it back. Cause you um, thought, you thought you got a DUI. I'm coming back. I'm getting fired for sure. Yep. Right. So going through that, you went through five and a half days and then what, where did you go from there? I, I just, I put one foot in the, in front of the other every day. And I, and I did my best to, to just do the right thing. These guys taught me, they said, you know, Maddie, you know, men do the right thing because it's the right thing to do period. And men do things that little boys won't do. And, and, and that resonated with me. I was like, okay. They're like, if all you do is get up in the morning and make your bed and maybe call one of the guys that in your cohort that you went through Sable Warrior with, if, if that's all you do and ask them how they're doing, don't give them your sob story. Don't play the victim. Don't just ask them how they're doing and how you can be of service to them. Uh, your life will get better. <laughs> and, and if you get into the rooms of recovery and start working some steps and, and start taking up some accountability, your life will get better. And I just, I just did what these guys told me to do. And, and, and slowly my life, my life got better. And I, and I was actually able to navigate my, my DUI with the help of Pat Russell. And, and um, I was off on injury for, for a long time. And, and by the grace of God, I mean, I, I was able to make it back to work with a license. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember talking to my sponsor like weeks before I went back to work, I'm like, do I'd call him like, do I need to bid another station? Do I need to, what do I, you know what? And he's like, Maddie, just go back to work, you know? And I'm like, well, I'd call him the next day. Like, what about this? What about that? Do it. You know, he's like, Maddie, just go back to work. <laughs> so that's what I did. And it was like, I was never gone except I had, a, I had a whole different outlook and a whole different daily practice that I brought with me back to work. So I was unrecognizable to a lot of the guys, a lot of the, a lot of my friends, you know, I remember in the first week I was back, we were in contract negotiations and the union president was at the station and, you know, the guys were doing what the guys do. And, and they were just looking at me like, and finally my buddy, Tim Sanifer is like, Matt, you, you don't have anything to say about this. And I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm just happy to be here. It's above my pay grade. Like it's all going to, you know, so the chips are going to fall where they're going to fall. Yeah. And, and I was going out on the, on the app floor. I was meditating every day. They're like, what are you doing? what is it that you're doing out there? I'm like, oh, it's meditation. And I got made fun of and, and all that stuff. But I was like, I knew what I had been through and I knew how, how, how far I had come. And, and so it just really my journey when it comes to how I got in this space is I started working my own recovery. And as I started working my own recovery, people started asking questions because I, I, you know, it was transformative for me. They're like, what happened to you? Like, tell me about this meditation thing. So guys started pulling me, they'd make fun of me at the table, but they pulled me aside um, in the dorm and say, man, I'm having trouble sleeping. Does that meditation help you with sleep? Yeah. As a matter of fact, it does like, let me show you. So I really got my, my start in all this, like doing my own work and then helping guys to teach guys how to meditate. And then I was asked by different clinicians to, Hey, can you come teach this department how to meditate and come teach this department how to meditate? And and, um, and that's how I got my start. And then I started telling my story and I was able to um, be a shepherd for Save a Warrior for three and a half years, which was where I learned so much about this stuff. So having, being a medic and understanding, you know, how to assess somebody um, physically. Now I was, I was doing mental assessments on people and by no means I'm not a doctor, but 
but I was able to, because it's a warrior-led organization, there's no clinicians there. I was able to to really learn from some really amazing people how to get people to unpack um, some of their trauma and just feel the feelings and watch them get on the other side of it. And it was miracle after miracle after miracle. It was it was incredible. And and so I was from there. I you know I was getting asked to do all all kinds of different things. Uh, started a treatment center with some folks in Newport beach. And, uh, I did that. I, and that took me kind of on the road doing business development, telling my story. And that's, I think we met when, mm-hmm. um, when you guys were thinking yep. about bringing the counseling team on. And, and so, um, and, and I just, it, it's funny how all that stuff I was doing all over the country for a bunch of different departments. And my, my department was still, you know, there was clinicians telling my fire chief, like, you know, you have a guy on your department that's like, helping everybody else's department like helping these veterans and these navy seals and and you might want to consider you know having them on the peer support team and they're like no you know it was it took a long time for my own department to come around and rightfully so you know and i was like i didn't need any more work to do (laughs) i was super busy so well you're never a a king in your own castle right amen amen uh, (laughs) i always tell people you can you can have the greatest message in the world but you better go about 50 miles away from your home department to tell it because no one wants to hear you in your own right and (laughs) i get it 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 makes sense and i was just i was never that guy you know i was i you know i i got asked like how do i do what you do maddie like you're like you're a leader and i'm like i don't consider myself that you know it's just I just, I got well and I wanted to share because I didn't want my brothers and sisters in service to suffer the way I was suffering. So, and that, you know, that the story didn't end there. I mean, that's kind of where it ended the last time we spoke. Yeah. Where, where are you at now? The last time we spoke was five years ago. Uh, you were starting to kind of get into this, uh, helping other people and so on and so forth. So take me from, from that point to where you are today. Yeah. So it, um, it's been quite a ride. I'll tell you that. Um, so I continued to to do all these things and and was really busy. Uh, got the support of my fire chief Pat. He would he would actually he put me on special assignment to go off and do some of the things I was doing um, for for our community of first responders. And you know he he did all he could, and I just basically was burning the candle at both ends and then COVID happened. Um, the rooms of recovery shut down. They took, I was on a, on the Disney rig. So I was, when I, I was essentially working in a bubble when I went back to work and that's how I was, I was able to, with all the, some of the modalities that I was doing, neurofeedback and meditation, um, recovery to, to keep my PTS symptoms in check. Um, when COVID happened, I couldn't get in front of them and the rooms and recovery shut down and I ended up having a relapse and tried to stay sober for a year. Um, and then in 2021, I, I had a panic attack at work and it was super embarrassing because I hadn't had a panic attack since I, you know, and I was doing all these things to, to help first responders. I remember, you know, my union president showed up at the station. He's like, we don't know what to do, Maddie. You're the guy, you're the guy we come to, you know, when it comes to this. And I'm, I'm like, I was, I got sent home and I had to do a fit for duty and, and it was really shameful. And I, you know, I just, everything I was doing up to that point, it just, it was, it wasn't enough because I was back out 
at station 10, 241, 91, cutting, cutting people out of cars. And I just, I, I had a conversation um, with some clinician friends of mine that said, man, you, you might want to just, you know, check yourself into a, a treatment center yourself. And that's what I did. I, I went back to treatment um, and in treatment, I decided, you know, the, the job's taking more from me than, than it's given me. And I, I, I have to, I have to make a decision uh, whether I want to, you know, keep my sobriety and my family and my sanity and my physical body because I had a neck neck injury at that time. I had back surgery, and I just I decided to to pull the plug and and um, you know file the paperwork to medically retire. Um, and it was a tough year. It was a really really tough year going through all the all the treatment um, and. I had a, a really significant suicide attempt and um, ended up uh, going to the psych ward for six, six days I spent because I finally in, succumbed to the fact that I needed um, medicine to help me because I really tried to do it without, without any medicine. So I checked myself in voluntarily so they can give me all these meds so I can get balanced out. And that was, it was really hard because I felt like I was a failure. <laughs> You know, I felt like I, I, I was doing it so well organically and holistically. I didn't want to be on any medications. And, and the truth is I, I needed to be And to this, to this day, I, you know, I'm quite, quite honest about it. Like I, I take a few medications and I finally found some balance and, you know, I, I, it helped me to unpack calls with my therapist. It, it's, it's just helped me to stay balanced. And it just, I've come to the conclusion that, that for right now, as I work through some of this stuff and unpack some of my trauma, that I'm just going to have to be on these meds. And, and, and one of them, I just want to mention, because I have a lot of support groups and for some of my, my retired guys, a lot of guys have nightmares. You know, a lot of us have nightmares and it gets worse when we retire. So there's a medication called Prozosin which is the off label. It's a, it's a blood pressure medication, but the off labels for, for nightmares. And that's been really, really good for me. And, and just to give you guys an idea, because it's important to know that most of the nightmares are not gory. They're about being on the job and not having your equipment with you hmm. and you'll story after story after story. And you'll wake up in a cold sweat because you were on a call and you didn't have your, your helmet or something, you know, this is what yeah. I um so i you know i was i went through the work comp process and it, it was difficult i you know um you know i i just did what i had to do to uh to fight for my pension and and it, it worked out after two and a half years um so you ended up with an idr at the end of the day and and so you're retired out medically i i assume yep retired yeah. out medically and and now i'm just i'm back um I'm really doing a lot of, of work on myself. That's first and foremost, you know, um, but I'm back in the space of behavioral health and mental health. And uh, there was a documentary filmmaker that followed me around for four or three and a half years, actually during this whole time that I spoke of. And, and so that documentary just came out, uh, PTSD 911 movie. And um, I've traveled all, all over the country for some premieres of that, that film. And, um, and that's opened up a bunch of doors for me. So I'm back working in the treatment 
field. Uh, I speak all over. I, you know, people ask me to speak. I build wellness programs for first responder agencies with Dr. Gina Gallivan and, um, and just help build peer support teams, do trainings, teach meditation, just kind of back doing everything I was doing. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so, uh, you know, if, if you want, we could talk about the uh, work comp experience, I, you know, it's. Yeah, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. But what I did want to say is, uh, you know, you're serving people in a different way now than than you were before. And that's that's a I think that's when you when you go all the way back to the beginning of why you got in the fire service is because you want to you wanted to serve people. And I think that, you know, that goes to show you that we, we may not be serving people uh, in the way we, we used to in the fire service. But a lot of times I can imagine that the way you're serving people today is a much more powerful than what you even found in the fire service at times. Yeah, I would, I would have to agree. I would say that not all the calls I ran, not one person ever came back to the station to say, thank you. And that's okay. Like I, I understand why, you know, it's traumatic for people, but there's nothing better. I'll tell you right now, there's nothing better than helping a brother and sister in crisis and then watching them help somebody else. Yeah. No better feeling. It's true. You know, it's it's what my purpose is, and I'm 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 spirit. I, I I'm a believer, and I believe that God's repurposed me and and has helped me along this whole way to overcome these things, so I can find meaning in my suffering and help somebody else. And it really, what it comes down to is that's why we're all on this planet, you know. So, and I, I love it. Like after we do this, I'm I got four phone calls in the queue of guys who have called called me for to get advice on on how to get through something that I got through. And that's just, it makes my day. It's, it's amazing. I, I lay down at night, um, fulfilled and rested and calm and, uh, knowing that I, that I'm serving God's purpose for me. So. Well, that's awesome, man. And that's, uh, it's, it's great that you found a different, the challenge I think I, I hear, I, I hear a lot of people that leave the fire service either, they retire or they get medically retired and man, the, the biggest thing I keep hearing back is, is, uh, they, they just don't have that, that sense of purpose anymore. That's laced with, you know, some sort of service helping people. And, uh, you know, it's great that you, you found that. And I, I, I think that, you know, that's the biggest challenge for us when we get into retirement age. And I'm certainly of retirement age is, is knowing, Hey, what's that next thing you're going to do? Because we retire relatively early. You know, we retire early fifties and mid fifties and, you know, we're, we're, we're hopefully healthy um, somewhat, <laughs> you know, to your point, everyone gets beat up a little bit in this business um, and not only health, you know, physically, but, but mentally. And uh, it's about trying to get yourself healthy and, and, and finding that other purpose. And I'm glad that uh, you certainly found that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's important. And, you know, it's important that we look at this, in a way that if you do not like behavioral health or mental health, just call it brain health. Yeah. Really. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Dr. Amen and, and one of his sayings is, you know, heal your brain and your mind will follow. Yeah. So a lot of what we know now with all the data we have is that it's a brain injury, you know, the, our, the makeup of our brain changes when we are under stress mm -hmm. and our nervous systems under stress for, for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years it, it, it makes sense why all these things physiologically and biology uh, biologically happen to us but there's the stigma attached to it that 
oh, I'm, I'm weak or this, I'm this or that. And we beat ourselves up when the truth is, if there are things that you can do like hyperbaric chamber, a lot of us have TBI, which I learned also, which is traumatic brain injury. Most of us have been hit in the head or gotten a fight of your law enforcement or been in a car accident or played sports, you know, so un undiagnosed um, TBIs and con concussions on top of the PTS is a recipe for, for disaster, hmm. you know? So it, there, there are, there are modalities out there to, like I said, that, that are really uh, effective in healing our brains, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I think the first time I heard you speak, it kind of opened my eyes and this is what it really opened my eyes to. And I've been thinking about this a lot again, kind of going back in the fire service in the beginning and, and not having that, that perception of, of uh, what this truly is, which is an injury to your brain um, at a lot of levels. And I started thinking about it and I said, you know, What's the difference between a brain injury? If you look at someone that has a brain injury compared to they blow their knee out, let's say, right? Two, two injuries, but we handle it so differently in the fire service. It's kind of hard to, you know, say, yeah, we should be handling those things more as injuries rather than, hey, well, a mental injury is so much different than a, than a physical injury. And yes, it is. It's actually worse. <laughs> in a lot of cases than a, a physical type of thing, because the reality is, is that the question I have all the time is, well, why does it look so different? Why does that process for us as, as public servants, why does that look so different from a workers' comp uh, perspective? That really started to resonate with me. And I really started thinking about it as a fire chief. And, you know, I've, I've had conversations with our own HR and our own risk management. And from my perspective as a as a fire chief, I, I started kind of going down that road a little bit with them and, you know, asking those questions. You know, why are we doing it that way? Because I think we have to ask those questions. And the fire chiefs, we can't sit on our hands and watch these things happen and just go, well, it's the system and it is what it is. Well, as fire chiefs, we need to be change agents, too. We need to be we need to push back and, you know, and, and figure these things out. I have a son now that's in the fire service. He works for Orange County. And the reality is, is that, you know, when I look back as even a father and and just kind of that whole fire service, the way I grew up in, it's like, man, I, I don't think I don't want him in that in a lot of the regards. You know what I mean? And I think as us as fire chiefs, we have to challenge some of those things and look and 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 try to look at it differently today. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think I love I love. I love this question because I think you guys as fire chiefs, you have a lot more strength and power and say than you think you do when it comes to this, this subject. Um, you know, your people are, are, they're getting injured and they're suffering and the way that, that it's being handled by your bosses is wrong. It's all wrong. And I think that collectively, you know, I know IAFF is looking at this, California State's looking at it, like collectively, if you guys get together and you you march up to risk management and you start you start getting in, in the grill of some of these risk managers and telling them, hey, if we take up if we take care of our people the right way on the front end, then we're not gonna end up spending all this money to medically retire people. In, in the long run and there's data coming out that that shows if you if someone has a critical incident and they're having all the symptoms of acute pts 
and you pull them off the floor and you and you cover their shifts and you get them to the right treatment for 90 days, then they'll be back to work with all the right modalities. They'll be back to work before their 4850 time is even close to being up. Yeah. You know, I've, I've looked, I've looked at the, at the data and I've looked at the reality of, and those are the questions I have is that when, when we look at it from a perspective of a, let's hide it, let's pretend it's not there. Let's, you know, don't talk about it on the floor because I might lose my, you know, all the things that are, that are there from, and everyone has a piece of that, right? It's, it's the guys on the floor. It's the people that are on the floor, the uh, firefighters are on the floor that are hiding it from each other right. or they can see it, but they don't want to say anything. Right. And then all of a sudden at the fire chief level, a lot of times, unfortunately for us at the fire chief level, this thing has gone way further than it should have before it even gets to us. Right. Right. So now it's dumped in our laps as fire chiefs and say, Hey, you have to deal with this. And you start asking questions. Well, how long has this been going on for? Oh, shoot. This has been going on for years. It's like, what? Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of things. All of us can be, um, you know, in other words, what's my lane? What's my responsibility for this? Yeah. You know what I mean, from that perspective of a firefighter on an engine or a truck company or whatever is, is recognizing either those things and their, and their peers even probably more difficult yet is recognizing those things in themselves. Right. Recognizing, Hey, you know what? I, I need to get some help. And then it's, it, it goes all the way to the, to the fire chiefs, to the risk managers, to HR, to city managers, to different, different people that are, that are part of that, that everyone has a piece of this. Right. And the, the goal should be, you know what? Number one, we're going to try to get our people healthy. Right. And get them, get them back to what they're doing. If we can do that. And in your case, um, that that didn't work out that way. Like I said, they did the best they did the best they could with what they had, and and yeah. sometimes it's, just, it's going back to the same old playbook where, you know, I, you know, the, the work in the work comp system's broken, and it's broken because people abuse it. Yep. Right? I mean, that's a fear for sure. That's a fear. No, yeah, there's no question about that. But the the we have the data now. We have we have the information. I think. The other thing, I, sometimes we're on our own worst enemy, like you said. It's like, but if we build a, a culture from the top down of wellness and and that our guys know that if you're struggling, you're not going to lose your job and we're going to get you help. And this is what it looks like. And that every supervisor knows that if I have a guy in crisis or if a guy's drifting and we're noticing that he's isolating and that he's not acting like himself, that we know the process of getting that person off work and help um, and that they know that their job's being protected and that it's an understanding amongst everybody and labor is in agreement with, with management. And, and that's, that's an easy fix right there. Yeah. That's an easy fix. You know, what, what could we do? Um, obviously our audience is, is largely uh, fire chiefs and, and whatnot. What could we do in your opinion, again, not to cast stones in anybody, but um what would you recommend fire chiefs to to do today different than 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 we are doing i guess today yeah i i think um i would look for more education around around the whole the whole process behavioral health like really get yourself start to look at you know the education there's a lot of good podcasts out there you know just challenge yourself to to put aside all the 
all the fire stuff for a second and look at some behavioral health stuff so you have a kind of a better understanding of it and then um from there i think uh, getting together having conversations with each other about what you what what you're doing to, you know what are you doing here what what are you doing in this area i think that's that's great you know spend some time with each other talking about what's working, what's not working uh, when it comes to behavioral health, how you're taking care of your people. And, and I think it, a lot of it's just, we don't know what we don't know. And and I know you guys are responsible for so much and, and you guys do a great job and, and, and just, just this alone, just having conversations like this with people and really getting to understand maybe some pulling aside maybe someone on your department that everyone knew was struggling at one point and got on the other side of it and maybe asking them like, how could we have made your, the process easier for you? What could we have done better? I, you know, I think it's just, it's really about educating ourselves and learning and then taking all this information and data and going to the city managers and going to the, going to risk in HR and, and educating them on how we want to take care of our people moving forward when it comes to, um, you know, brain injuries, you know, it's, it's, and every, and get everybody on the same page and get people talking about it. I, I think is the, you know, and just show support, be vulnerable. You know, it's, I know that's a hard thing for some chiefs. I, you know, I watched, um, I watched chief fantasy in, um, at family day in orange County. They have a family day before their, uh, when the guys get out of the Academy, before the guys hit the floor, I watched him come in plain clothes and address the families and get vulnerable about some stuff in his own life. And that's, I mean, to me, that's like, wow, like that's impressive. You know, it's, it shows, um, it shows that, that you guys are just like us, you know, you, and, and that you care, you know? Yeah. I think the important thing is, as well as, as, uh, as the fire chiefs is, is having that opportunity to, to work with all of the stakeholders from HR, from risk to, uh, really coming at this from a, a labor and management perspective and move that in a direction that that we're that we're that we care about our people and we want to make sure that our our people are are hopefully retiring healthy and that should be one of the major goals uh, that that we all have and the reality is is that um you know unfortunately we've missed the mark a lot of times but i think that we're at a place right now that that we, we can make such great improvements um, over the next few years, not only from a, you know, a support and, and hopefully they don't have to get to that workers comp place. Right. right? That's right. where we really, in, in my opinion, you know, the workers comp stuff is kind of like the end of the road a lot right. of times, you know what I mean? Yep. And I, I, I want to get your perspective on, you know, that's kind of the end, unfortunately for, for some of this. And that's the fear, right. Is, but what can we be doing today so that never even happens, right? If you look back on on your time, your story, your journey, and looking back and saying, "Boy, if I just had this, or I I did this, or somebody else did this for me," um, would you mind sharing some of that and saying? Because I think sometimes we always it, it's the same thing with a heart attack. You know what I mean? Like I used that analogy a while ago. I was like, "Okay, well, what are we going to do before we have a heart attack?" Well, there's a lot of things we could probably do before we have a heart attack right now what, what are those things that we can do not only from a from a, a personal standpoint you know when, when we recognize that but from a peer standpoint from a departmental standpoint what's your thoughts on that yeah um so i think from from an individual standpoint it's it's really important to understand that if we don't take this serious in our own careers 
that it will come back and bite you 100%. And what that means is, is that there's no shame in seeing a therapist, you know, at least once every six months to unpack some stuff. There's no shame in it. It's important um, that a daily practice in your own life and self-care is not something that's, that's really, a lot of us don't do it, you know, and taking the family to the river for the weekend is not self-care that in itself is, you know, it's a lot of work involved with that. And so self-care, you know, is meditation, yoga, going and working out at the gym, you know, doing float tanks and, you know, cryo and, and, uh, ice baths and all these things that, that, have their evidence based to calm your nervous system down um neurofeedback you know this is important and and if you can get that in sometime before you get home to your family everybody's going to benefit from that and and it's something to really uh take into account from day one even though you don't feel like you need it it's gonna you're gonna give yourself longevity you know um Mm -hmm. i also think spirituality is, is is missing um from our culture. I, I, I don't know. I know we don't c- call the chaplains out as much as, I mean, the chaplains were on the fires back in the day. You look at tradition, those guys were out there. And, and I think that we need to bring that back a little bit. I know that's probably a, a touchy subject for some, but um, I feel like it's, it's missing a little bit. And, um, and then from a peer standpoint, it's, it's, let's, let's have a line, let's have a line item and some money, you know, for these guys, that that goes right to peer support for training and good training not there's a lot of garbage out there right now because you know it's find find the right people that are teaching the good stuff and 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 get the peers trained up and get them comfortable enough to to run a debrief with the clinician in the background as they would be running a medical aid you know most of the peer support teams i go out there and talk to they're like we just wait for the clinician to show up and then we, you know, we just, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle this. And, and we should all know how to triage each other when it comes to mental health. And, and so it's just, it's like anything else. It's like, it's like throwing a ladder or pulling hose. You just train on it. You train on it. You train on it. You do scenarios and, and, and the same thing in, in taking care of ourselves. So we need to, we need to train up our, our peer support teams a little bit better, put a little bit more time and, and a little bit more money at, at, at those folks you know, um, and there's a lot to that too. There's, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's so many different things that they can learn about as peers and do retreats together and, you know, to, to, um, strengthen their, their peer support team is I can go on and on about that, but, um, you start with the peer support team. And then I would say educating, uh, coming up with algorithms in your own departments on how you support your people that are in crisis. And then you make that, that information known to everybody on the department, including the, your, um, your supervisors. And, and then you do some training with your supervisors around what to look for when someone's, when someone's struggling and how to approach it in a way that's, that's more, um, empathetic and compassionate than, um, you know, uh, looking to, to have some behavioral, um, discipline come down, you know? Um, so it's, you know, it's that, um, I think we, we talked a little bit about at, at the management level, um, you know, you guys have your work cut out for you. You have a lot to do, but I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head chief. Like we're at a pivotal moment in time when it comes to this stuff, because it's not getting better. 
you know, we're shedding light on it right now. We're getting, we're getting better at it, but the suicide problem is still, it's still happening. It's, you yep. know, I heard about one, two weeks ago, broke my heart and it breaks my heart every single time. And, and I've been in the trenches with a lot of these folks when they make that choice. And it's, I understand 100%, but it's still, it's never gets easier. And so the ultimate goal is to eliminate that. And yeah. there's a solution. There is a solution. There's a lot of solutions, but as fire chiefs in this point in time, um, I really think you guys can collectively come together and do it differently. You, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be the same old playbook. Like just think big, you know, think about just do things that, that no one's ever done before because that's what needs to be done because everything that's we've done thus far, it's not, it's not eliminating that, that issue. And it, it, if we just can't go on with our guys taking their own lives, they, I can't have four out of the five clients in my treatment center, retired guys, that's heartbreaking. They should be off enjoying the rest of their life for all the work and commitment they put in over the years to the citizens of whatever you know, agency they work for. It's just, it, it breaks my heart. And that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about this. But I think you guys are in a, such a good spot right now to, to make some change and, and to start educating yourselves on, on what's out there and, and what you can offer to your folks to stay mental, mentally healthy and, and, you know, and make your mark that way. I think it'd be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I think, I think us as far as you, sometimes I, you, you said something and might've been a reference to what I said, but um, when you talk about how much influence we have as fire chiefs, I think we have more influence than, than, than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. And sometimes that influence comes at a cost of having some intestinal fortitude to do some things that are hard, you know, and aren't maybe very popular at times. They may not be very popular with uh, the, you know, the, your, your people in your fire department. They may not be popular with your, you know, HR risk management or your city management, but the reality is, is that it's, it's the right thing to do. And I, I think I go back to, if we can look at it from a perspective of, look, this is an injury. How would we, A, how would we, if I got hurt on the job, how would I want to get treated? And how do we want to treat our people? And that's, that's something that I, I think is important for us to think about. And because uh, I'm a pretty simple minded person. And when I kind of break it down into the simplest uh, thing, that's what I go back to, you know, is, is this is an injury. How are we going to treat it? And how we're going to, you know, ultimately try to get people better and, and hopefully back on the job. And, um, you know, that's that's an important thing. Um, when, when we talk a little bit about, and we touched on it, you know, workers comp, obviously in, uh, in, in the labor law, we have, we have presumptive language in, in, uh, in the labor code. I think it's 3212.15, and it's under the post-traumatic stress injury uh, language. And basically what it says is our firefighters have presumptive language um uh for for these types of things in other words you if 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 they get treated and they get diagnosed with this um the we we should presume that it came from work um and there's obviously there's a lot more to that and but and part of that language as well is the presumption is also disputable and maybe uh controverted by other evidence so it's not as clean <laughs> as 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 probably you know a lot of us would, would like but what that really means is you know it's going to look different um to different people you know right. and every case is very uh, unique and uh but i i think 
I think for us, it's that's going to be the uh, the interesting challenge moving forward is is how do we tread through these waters or workers comp and all these other different things. And man, if, if I was to uh, to to look at some of you know just the cases that I've seen and 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 or heard about is go back to your point, you know, five, 10 years ago of what could we have done then to prevent all of this stuff happening? And yes, we, we're, we're going to put a lot of energy into all of these presumptions and all of the workers comp, but I, I think we need to put way more energy in preventing all of these things um, and getting in front of it that way. And to your, to your point, put the money there, put the education there, put the training there, and then we'll deal with this other stuff as it comes, you know what I mean? But boy, that's just, you know, I know a lot of fire chiefs think that way, but man, we have to, um, we have to start putting our money for, you know, where our mouths are at, at, at some points with that, right? What's your budget look like for that? I mean, how much money do you have for that? Um, I know, I know you had said there's a lot of volunteer work out there. If it's not in your budget, what opportunities are out there for us to tap into other resources that are, are a little bit different? Right. Yeah, I think if there's one thing that could be done on the work comp side, which the city of San Diego is really good at, is going to your risk management people and the work comp folks and saying, okay, let's agree today that if I got a guy in crisis that's struggling with alcohol, that you're you're not going to deny it. And that we agree right now that you'll pay for 90 days of treatment and, and without denial, without question. And then, and then we'll see where we're at and go from there. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the, you can, you can work these things out with, with risk and, and yeah. work on the, on the front end and then, and come to some kind of an agreement. I think that's, that's the, that's the, the quick the quick look at it, you know, because the, the reality is, is that if, if people in crisis can get 90 days off and get the right treatment, they can make it back to work, you know, yep. and then about understanding how to support your folks that are in recovery back to work and what that looks like. And, and so that's, that's the easy fix when it comes to work comp. But like I said, I love what you said, Chief, about, about the, pre- the preventative stuff. You know, it's, it's, if we can front load, you know, all the preventative stuff out there and, 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 we might not end up, you know, we might end up in a place where guys work comp system, they never make it to there. And that's, that's what we want. You know, we want these guys to leave healthy. And Yeah. I think one thing is as well on, on top of that is that, you know, what are, what are the barriers right now that are up for people, right? If, if someone's thinking, you know what, I know I have this issue. I, A, I have a stigma. I don't want to. I don't want to admit I have a, a an alcohol problem or a drug problem or a whatever type of problem. And I I know I need some help, but if I do that, a it's embarrassing. B I don't want to admit those types of things. And C I don't want to basically you know take a bunch of time off to go handle this because I don't. I have to use my own sick time, my own vacation time, my whatever. And sometimes that becomes a barrier for people. That's the that's the one thing that keeps them from getting the treatment. And to me, that's a shame. If if uh, if if and that's where us as fire chiefs can go in there and and tell that story and and share that. Hey, this is important for these people to be able to to um, get you know through this and create 
a this barriers out and just get them out of the way get these barriers out of the way as much as we can i think that's one thing we can do as fire chiefs as well is understand the barriers to entry into some of these programs and what can we do as fire chiefs to reduce those right and I, I think that's a huge thing that we can do would you would you agree with that from a from a barrier standpoint what are some of the other things well, that would be yeah. connected to that i think you i think you hit the nail on the head with that one i mean you know to look at to look at where your pinch points are, you know, what are the barriers to people getting to getting help? And, and, you know, you're right. The number one is, is shame. You know, no one wants to admit that they, that they can't cope with, you know, life and life on the job without putting some kind of substance in their body, you know, but the truth is, is that um, it's, it happens all the time, you know, so it's about, like like i said it just goes back to educating you guys about you have a brain injury you're not mentally ill you're coping with alcohol let's get you let's get you well it's just like if you went on a call and you know and you broke your arm you know it's the same exact thing it's just let's get you the help to fix that part of your body and get you some time off and 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 get you well and get you back and um i think that you know that's part of it i i think financially of course most most guys that I run across that um, get to the point where they have to ask for help is because they're one in a ton of pain mentally. And two, they've burned all their resources to the ground. There's no more sick time. There's no more. And then obviously, you know, there's the, when that happens, guys start to notice, we notice, we notice when a guy is paid leave drops below a certain, you know, area or guys are asking, you know, guys around the station are asking for trades, you know, the day of, or whatever, whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's like, we, we have to, as, as, you know, boots on the ground, understand that, that we, we don't want to get that far to where we we're burning all those things. But the reality is, is you know, what insurance is a barrier. Um, that's a whole different subject about, you know, insurance policies. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that most most of the cheap insurance policies that we pay for, and I won't mention one, but it starts with a K and ends with Iser. Um, it's when it comes to behavioral health and mental health is shit. Excuse my language. It's garbage. It's horrible. And, and, but a lot of guys have that, have that insurance. So, you know, it's, it's, it's working with some of these um, good treatment places to work with places like Kaiser to make sure that, your first responders can get the, the help that they need. Um, and that's all something that, that can be addressed also. You know, we can, we hire Kaiser, for example, to, to insure our folks They're We're paying for them. So why aren't our people getting the help that they need? Why aren't they, why isn't their insurance covering behavioral health? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that could be addressed also. So insurance is a barrier, um, obviously time off, um, and then this, like you said, the stigma, but as we, as we educate ourselves more and more about, about what happens to our brains and, and we take away that, that mental health part of it and just call it brain health, I think, and, and guys see guys coming back and doing well. And, you know, you know how we are, it's like one guy buys a truck and we all buy the same truck. And it's, so it's like, it's the and, same thing. And it's usually white. Right. Yeah. So one guy does gets well and then. And then we all get well, you know, it's, it's, you know, one guy wants ice baths and now everybody wants ice baths and, and that's, that's great. I'm glad guys are looking at stuff like that. Cause yeah, I, for sure. Yeah. No, I think, I think we've, you know, I think 
just in my career in the fire service and kind of where from the from the point of where this sort of bring being brought up a little bit more in mainstream of what we talked about um to where we are today i think we've we've made leaps and bounds in the fire service we we have a long ways to go uh before we get to where we should be i think but um i think people are more aware of it today i think it's it's going to be one of those things that you know it comes down to funding sometimes sometimes it comes down to you know, uh, philosophy and, and your, your, you know, your culture and all sorts of different things. But I think a lot of those things are starting to get better from my perspective. Um, and I think we have, we're, we're going in the right direction slowly <laughs> and, but, you know, just working with, with, uh, with, you know, our, our friends, the CPF and, you know, working with different, um, you know, organizations, I, I think we're getting there. Um, I think if we look back in, you know, five years from now, we're going to be in a much better place than we are today, but it's just about, you know, keep plugging away and understanding it and, and taking those little victories as we can get along. And, and so, but um, I, I really appreciate your time, Maddie. I, I appreciate your story. I, I appreciate the fact that you were willing to jump on today and, and have an uh, open, open conversation, you know, and again, these are, these aren't easy things to talk about. And sometimes us as chiefs, we don't want to, you know, uh, maybe, maybe uh, talk about them as, as much either because they're, they're, they're hard. These are hard things to do, you know, yeah. at the end of the day. So um, I appreciate your time. And, and is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we, uh, before we take off? No, I just, you know, I'll just reiterate um, that you, you guys do a great job and you have a lot, you have a lot to deal with. Um, so I, I just, I appreciate that, that you're even doing this chief. This, this is amazing. I know, um, there's, I've come across some chiefs and it's, they're very passionate about, about mental health and behavioral health and they're doing everything they can. So I just wanted to recognize, you know, all you guys and, and know that, you know, it's, we notice, we notice. So thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. And this is something that uh, on this podcast, we're probably going to delve into all sorts of different areas on this. Cause I think we have to, I think we have to educate ourselves more as chiefs, um, have, have a better understanding of it. And uh, I think a podcast is a great way to do that just because you get to have more of a more of a conversation, you know, and um, it's it's a great format for that. So, I again, I appreciate you jumping on today and and uh, doing what you do, man. Good luck out there. Yeah, thank you, Chief. Mm -hmm.